But I want to um, <clears throat> I'm gonna open and close with something that I asked um, Brian to send. Brian Boitman um, sent a prayer um, for us, um, for me to pray over you and for him to be praying over you. And so I want to read that. And then we're going to get into um, John 20. So if you want to get ready for John 20, that's fine. I'm going to read it to you. So whatever you need to do. Um, and so we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll keep going there. But here is um, a prayer for you. So I'm going to open with this and we'll go from there. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for the power of your love to raise Jesus to life and deliver us from death that it may pass over us forever. We praise you for this gracious and incomparable gift. Let us as your church, not just give our lives, but also each of our days to learn from you through your son, our redeemer. For if we know him, we know you. Let us seek you all around us as you are right next to us in every moment. Let us join you in the joy of the resurrection to follow you into our neighborhoods. Let us proclaim your kingdom come today and each day to follow. Thank you, Brian, for sure, man. Okay, let me read this passage. <clears throat> um, what we're going to do, we're going to read uh, this John passage, and now I'm going to talk about a few things, um, and then we are going to have a liturgy of response and communion together, and then I want to pray for you and bless you, and then be dismissed to enjoy your, your day. Um, let's start in uh, John. It actually will be John 19, um, verse 38. Okay, so a little bit um, right after the death of Jesus. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, <clears throat> or Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish, Jewish day of the preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. <clears throat> um, I just have to say real quick before we move on, I think it's absolutely beautiful um, that Nicodemus um, comes to bury Jesus. It's, I can't get around it. Um, we talked about Nicodemus a bit ago, um, but the fact that he has stayed uh, through theirs is pretty beautiful. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Now both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit ridiculous for a second. First of all, uh, John more than likely writes this and he calls himself the one that Jesus loved, which, hey, it's fair. Jesus did love him. So that's fine. Totally fine. He does seem to throw a little bit of a jab in there to say that Peter and he ran to the tomb. But as it happens, he's younger and faster than Peter and made it to the tomb first, which 
I, I honestly don't know what has that has to do with the story other than uh, let it be known. I beat Peter to the tomb. Um, just, just for the sake of, I know this story is about Jesus rising from the dead. It's beautiful. It's this wonderful uh, thing, but um, I'm fast. And so I win and let, let the record note. I beat Peter to the tomb. I think that's awesome. I, I mean, re- legitimately, I actually love that very much. Um, uh, <laughs> so they go to the tomb. Um, then uh, after stopping to look in, he saw that the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Um, and that he had said these things to her. So um, that may be familiar to us. Um, it may be something we've we've read in the past. Hopefully, if you've been at church for a number of years, you've read it this Sunday, every year possibly. Um, but I want to talk today uh, about a few things. So I want to go back like two and a half days. Okay, so um, we don't have a lot of um, information or text about this in between time. This these days between. Jesus' death, when they take him and they bury him, um, to when um, Mary and these women and then John and Peter find that Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. Okay, so when Jesus is actually seen again, we don't have a lot of information there. But I think this time, this in this weekend of despair kind of thing, I think um, can bring us a lot of hope. And so I want to talk about that just a little bit. Um, I think this week I've, I've, and last week I've been kind of, my, my brain hasn't allowed me to get away from, um, these two and a half days. Okay. And so here's, here's what I'm thinking. Um, I assume, and because of other things that are written, we see that the disciples in this time seem very afraid. Um, fear is something that has gripped the 12 plus 40 plus 100 of them that follow Jesus pretty closely and has, <clears throat> um, has kind of rendered them 
um, in hiding and kind of put them uh, without community and in their homes and fearful. And, and it makes sense that they would be fearful, right? So they go and some of them are with Jesus. They go. We all have the story of Peter obviously being afraid when he denies Jesus. Um, we have the uh, we have these people saying, hey, weren't you actually with Jesus as well in the crowds when they're like about to punish him and put him on this mock trial and torture him and kill him? Peter says, no, 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 I don't, I don't know this guy. I don't, I'm not, I don't know him. I was not with him. And then it happens again. And then a servant girl at the fire says, no, I recognize your accent. You were, I've seen you with him. And he swears and curses and is upset and causes a scene to try to say, no, I was not with this man. Now that is not just out of, I'm ashamed our leader is captured. It's I'm afraid. I'm afraid they will also grab me that I will be put into shackles with him, that they may beat and whip and murder me as they might do to our leader here. Okay. It was a, a, I don't mean this in a scandalous way. It is a reasonable fear. Um, we have the only disciple that stays with Jesus at the cross is John. You have these three to, depending on what you read, three to nine or so women that have loved Jesus very much and follow him closely. They are there. And John, that's it. Out of all these people that have been close with Jesus, out of all these people that have said, oh, no, we'll die for you. Oh, yes, we will. Like, let us dip our hand into the cup that you are taking. Like, they are legitimately afraid. They're revolutionary. Their leader, their savior has been murdered graphically, badly, um, shamefully, naked, hanging on a cross with nails in his hands and feet, thorns on his head, and a spear in his side. So there's fear. Is, am I next? Is someone coming for me? Will this end? Will they chase me forever? I think is something I've thought. As we're thinking about um, when life goes back to normal, uh, when can it? What does normal look like? Later, these disciples ask these questions. What what will normal look like for me now? Will I go fish and people leave me alone? Will I be content in fishing? Will I be mocked as I bring in fish for following this savior? What what will become of my children if they come and get me? Um, what happens if they find us out and they round us up? We've failed. <laughs> the fear of failure has come upon us. And I want you to know some of you uh, I know are experiencing real fear, um, fear that you could get sick, fear that we could get our families sick, um, fear that people we work with will make us sick because they're not following protocols like us. There's, there's tons of things. There's reasons to be afraid. There's fear of, will I have a job after this? You may be furloughed. That furlough date, will that date change? Um, you may have been laid off. Will you be able to find a job with the other 17 million people that are going to be trying to find some? Or is there musicians? Are there going to be concerts again soon at all? Will people have the money to record music? Will, will we have careers at, at my job? Will our homeowners 
that have been furloughed that we've just built house for, will they ever be able to close on their home ever to, that it's built for them? All of those are real fears. And there's no, and here's what I would have you know today. And, and really, and I mean this with all my heart. We can look at verses that talk about perfect love driving out fear. We can look at verses that talk about um, God not giving us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of one of power and confidence and all these things. We can do that. What I don't want you to do, though, is to think that your fear or that your discomfort or that your you're being just scared of tomorrow. You are not alone in it. And Jesus is not waiting to chastise you for it. In fact, it's the opposite. In fact, Jesus wants to sit with you in the midst of it and wants to say, as you are afraid, I am with you. Um, as you are in these disciples in an upper room hiding trying to get together to know is someone coming for us? Are we safe? What's going on? You are absolutely not alone. And Jesus wants to meet us there. Meet you as you are laying in bed at night, awake, wondering how in the hell is this going to work? Like what is going to become of us? <laughs> Jesus is with you there. Not waiting for you to like muster up some courage, not waiting for you to finally be bold. No, right with you right now in the midst of fear, loving you all the way, giving you himself, giving you his strength, giving you, it may not feel like courage to you and that's okay, but whatever is in that's allowing you to put the next foot in front of the other or to tell your son or daughter, it's going to be all right or to, give them some joy or to kiss their face silly. Like all of that is from the Holy spirit to you to make sure we continue and to make sure, you know, fear doesn't win. It doesn't. That does not again mean you have to feel as if you have conquered it this morning. That doesn't mean that tomorrow when you go to the grocery store, you don't have to be a little bit nervous and anxious. That is not what that means. It means in the midst of your angst, in the midst of your worry, in the midst of actual, real, reasonable fear that Jesus is with us all the way, all the way within us, about us, with us, before us, after us, ahead of us, behind us, all around you, driving you forward, holding our hands, saying, no, God with us. Uh, Virus does not change that. A loss of job cannot change that. This idea uh, that Paul talks about that neither death nor life nor present nor future than angels or demons or principalities or rulers of the air, or the earth or sickness or health or anything else can possibly like take me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus is true for us still. And fear is one of those things that cannot rule in us. It may feel as if it does. It may feel as if it's overtaking parts of your day. That anxiety is, is sometimes winning. God is with us in the midst. And I want to read, um, let me pull up this other verse um, about specifically to me about fear. Um, it's in Isaiah 43. It says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. 
for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. See, it's the with you. It's not you won't pass through waters. It's as you pass through waters, as the rapids rage, as it is difficult for you, I am with you. Um, and you pass through the rivers, they shall not overcome you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have called you by name, you are mine. So some of you today, if the only thing that Easter can, can mean to us today, if the only thing of resurrection can do today is that, that in the midst of fear that resurrection may not come, or in the midst of fear and doubt or any of that, as you're passing through the waters and the rivers, that God is with you all the way, has been the whole time, and will absolutely not ever leave. However lonely, however fearful, not leaving. And I just, I need you to know that, and I need to know that. And so um, I say that with all of my love, some of you, fear won't win. Fear does not like, yeah. So um, in the midst of that, uh, the other, the other thing that I know um, haunts me every, every Easter, to be honest, is doubt. Um, uh, and, and I don't even mean in our current season about everything else going around me because I for sure doubt all of that. Uh, and I doubt if I'm doing right. I doubt if I'm doing best. I doubt my parenting. I doubt my, love for my family. I doubt all these things, like how it's going. Um, but I know I also sometimes am plagued with doubt just over this story, over this Jesus. I do absolutely believe, but I know I'm believing something that's outlandishly wonderful and crazy and beautiful and hard, right? Um, I mean, it goes through this. I'm going to read a little further in the same John 20 passage. Um, this is on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Back to that here again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands he showed them his side um, and said this, um, or no, he showed them his hand, showed them his side. Um, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness of any is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus had come. So the other disciples told them, they said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands um, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. And in the midst of all this, 
is he does not get rebuked and chastised, it doesn't seem. It seems that his doubt just needs some sort of assurance, just needs belief, needs to touch his hands, needs to touch his side. Jesus didn't come and stand far away and say, no, you should be able to believe by not touching my hands, by not seeing my side. You should just believe because it was spoken to you because of these other guys. You should believe because I said I was going to do it. Why didn't you believe? That conversation doesn't happen. It's not recorded. That's that's not what's said here. What's said here and what's beautiful is Jesus comes into the room. Everyone freaks out because Jesus is there. And then he walks up to Thomas right to him and says, Thomas, I have something for you. Would you like to feel my hands and touch my wounds? Would you like belief and Thomas doubting reaches his hands out and touches his wounds, touches his side and says, Oh, you are my Lord and my God. Jesus offers that to him. He doesn't have to. He just says after two, like there are going to be people who won't have the opportunity to see me and oh, blessings to them. If they do believe like he says that to Thomas saying, look, I did this for you. I can't do this for everyone. Everyone's not going to have that, but you can have that tonight with me. And I think that's beautiful. What a gracious God for not saying shame on you for believing here. I'll show you. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Is that enough for you? He doesn't say that. And we, for whatever reason, picture Jesus looking at us that way, right? We picture Jesus scoffing at us saying, how dare you? That is like, I don't, I don't know why I do that, but I do. I see Jesus as this one sometimes looking at me saying, are you kidding me? Look what we've been through and still you doubt what is wrong with you. Instead of looking at a Jesus who will meet with me yet again and say, I know you're plagued with doubt. I know you are racked with it. Here, touch my hands again. See my side again. Let's walk through this again. Let me give you what you need to keep going. Let me give you encouragement from these around you. Let me give you this belief. And I am so thankful that he does that for us. So thankful that the resurrection, again, doesn't always cure our doubt, but it can withstand it. That Jesus' love can withstand our worries and our doubt and our discomfort and our being unsure. Jesus doesn't run from that, but he sticks out his hands and he lets us see his side and is just with us. Um, however that may be, words of encouragement in, in speaking with you through a dream in scripture passage that you weren't ready for, in something going right, in you realizing that just as he's caring for the birds of the air, he is caring for you or whatever it may be. And you may doubt tomorrow again, all the way. You really may. And Jesus again will meet us in the room and put out his hands and show us his side and say, I know you are plagued with doubt, but believe. Believe with me. I am with you in your doubt. And I want to tell you, that's also not a shameful place to be. We're the ones that 
act like <laughs> Thomas is not worth what the rest of them are. We call him doubting Thomas and all these things, but Jesus comes to him personally and lets him touch his new body. Doesn't sound so shameful to me. Sounds like us. Sounds like our worries about tomorrow. Sounds like our financial fears right now. Sounds like doubt that Jesus hears our prayers. Sounds like doubt we have that Jesus raised. We sound this way and Jesus comes and says, no, it's okay. I will help you believe that God meets us more than halfway for belief is something we need to hear today. It's something you need to hear and that I need to hear. I need to like set it deep. I need it to like get grab roots in my soul and like grow something of goodness is what I need to be honest this, this day. Um, so those two things for sure. Um, and then also, uh, on this Easter day that the two and a half days, that window, um, also too, we could talk about the chaos, the confusion. We can talk about a million things that I've tried to whittle down and haven't done a great job of, but also you need to know that as they see Jesus alive, that doesn't fix them immediately. <laughs> they don't automatically become these powerful, sinless, wise, young men and women. In fact, they are confused and bumbling. They still don't have the Holy Spirit upon their tongues yet. You know, they are still confused and still probably think that they're going to get their swords together and march to Rome and take revenge for them killing their revolutionary leader. They maybe think all of these things. Their eyes have not been opened to the scriptures. Their eyes have not been opened to what Jesus has said to them fully yet. They still are thinking in the same light as when the Samaritans rejected them. They wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy the Samaritans. And Jesus, what are you talking about? No, 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 that's all we're doing. But they're still confused. They have seen the resurrected Jesus. And so you today, me today, my family in the other room today, we are, we are changed, we are redeemed, and we are being redeemed every day. You have been made righteous by his resurrection, and you will continue to be made righteous by his resurrection. I know that is a weird way to say that, but it's the way it makes sense to me. I have been holied by Jesus, and I will be made holy every day. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, yet not fully here. It is coming every day. It is graspable with our fingers and yet not holdable with our hands, if that makes sense. And the same with our holiness, the same with the resurrection, what it has done for us. Yes, we are fully saved. We are fully redeemed and you will be saved again in, in every moment with every exhale of God. You will be upheld in that salvation. We have been made new and we will be made new every morning. And that is, is a realization that would do us well today. That as this season is just plagued with conflict and chaos and it's what's seemingly a lack of wisdom, a lack of understanding, us having doubt and fear and, and uncertainty, we have been redeemed we will be redeemed still. We have been saved and we will be saved still. 
God's breath will continue to exhale upon us, giving us life upon life every moment. It's not, it's finished, it is finished, and it is still happening. Um, it's one of my, it's okay, a weird Greek thing about Jesus being on the cross. I'm saying that just because I said it is finished and it sparked this on my head. This um, word, it is finished, <clears throat> this phrase doesn't mean it is done now. That's it. It's it's in this tense. Um, if I remember, I think it's aorist passive tense. Um, and I want to say that it, it means it is finished and will be finished throughout. It has been finished at this moment and will be being finished at every moment henceforth. Forever now, finishedness is happening. This beautiful thing for Jesus to say on the cross when he could have said, it's over, it's done, I've finally done it. Instead, he chooses to say, it is finished now and forever it will be finishing. If that, that's a terrible way to say it. Jesus said it much better by saying it is finished in that tense. Um, okay, so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to pray for you and then let's have a communion together. Um, and so uh, Holly or someone, would you please put the liturgy of response on the screen if you haven't already? You may have and I've missed it. So sorry about that. Um, but if you haven't, if you would put it on the screen, that'd be great. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll enter our um, liturgy of response. God, we, <clears throat> we are thankful that you have risen. And we know that should like fill us with inescapable joy. It should fill us with confidence. It should fill us with like hope that's really, really hope. But I know God, for some of us, for most of us, for me, it does not always do that. Sometimes I am still racked with doubt and I have fear. Um, I have confusion and turmoil. I read passages that say you're not the God of that, but that is how I feel. That is what's going on within me. And I know you sit with me there. And I know you save me there. And I know you holy me there and sanctify and redeem and all those things. You teach me to do what is good in the midst there. And so I ask this for my friends as well, um, for our people, for these that I love so much. Um, in Jesus name. Amen. All right, Holly has put the, um, thank you for doing that, Holly, putting the words on the screen. So I'm going to read. And then just as we usually do, I know it may feel different being at home, saying this, um, saying the response, but you are saying it together. There are people um, across the city saying this with you, um, believing with you, hoping with you, trying to muster any bit of faith they can with you. So know that. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, also, he took the cup and blessing it and saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Drink it, for it is a gift from my own body. Father, through your goodness, we have this bread and cup. May we know your presence um, in our sharing with each other with our world. And though we cannot embrace each other, we ask for your embrace. Though we cannot commune face to face, we ask for you to commune with us. Made one in Christ and one with each other, 
we offer ourselves back to you, a living act of praise. Our Father, you are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I want to take bread um, and say, uh, and taking the bread and dipping in the cup that Jesus, I want to remember you deeply today. What I want to do now is again, I again want to read um, Brian's prayer for us, and then I want to bless you, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for the power of your love to raise Jesus to life and deliver us from death that it may pass over us forever. We praise you for this gracious and incomparable gift. Let us, as your church, not just give our lives, but also each of our days to learn from you through your Son, our Redeemer. For if we know him, we know you. Let us seek you all around us as you are right next to us at this very moment. Let us enjoy you in the joy of your resurrection to follow you into our neighborhoods. Let us proclaim your kingdom come to date and each day to follow. I love you so, all of you so, so, so very much. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I tell you today, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of confusion, where chaos may seem to reign, it does not, for you are redeemed. You are resurrected, and there is life. You are being resurrected today, every moment, and you will be resurrected tomorrow, every moment. He is risen. I love you. Have a wonderful day.